Welcome to Surviving Society Presents Hidden Histories, Season 1, titled Resistance and Restoration in Black Liverpool. This is part two of two episodes with social activist Jimmy Jane. In the first episode, Jimmy gave us some important historical context which helped to explain the Toxith uprisings of 1980. In this second episode with Jimmy, we get a complete overview from the eyes of Jimmy of the events that took place right before and during the Toxith uprisings. As with the first episode with Jimmy, the content and the descriptions within this episode at times can be quite troubling to listen to. Welcome to Surviving Society Presents hidden histories. This is a collaborative project focused on histories and contemporary formations of empire, imperialism and slavery in Britain and the Caribbean. You are listening to season one, titled Resistance and Restoration in Black Liverpool. In these episodes, we locate Black Liverpool as a site of pride, history and resistance. We feature researchers and community organisers who discuss themes related to grassroots organising, health, art and the Toxic Uprising. We hope you find these episodes informing, invigorating and inspiring. Um, Jimmy, just on, on that note and just kind of going back to your personal story in relation to the structural and the police and the uprisings, could you tell us a little bit about how your own experience and coming to a position of self-determination and taking part in the uprisings are connected so obviously you told us that this is the awful story about what happened to you um as a young boy and i wondered if you could tell us a little bit about how we then get to the uprisings from there yeah that's a fair question because you know from to, to get from the age of 12 to 17 is actually quite a long time in a in, in a child's life you know it's it's almost like half a lifetime you know um, and a lot of things happened in that time there were a lot of things going on in the 70s um, as far as black kids were concerned. You know, it was a real kind of like, you know, a, a real eye-opening time for me. You know, I learned so much, you know, since that particular incident. You know, I, I moved from being just kind of like a naive young kid who never used to see colour to being, by the time 1981 came along and I was 17, I was a highly politically motivated well-educated in terms of kind of like, you know, race relations in this country and the history of oppression and struggle that, you know, black people have gone through in various parts of the black diaspora around the world. You know, over that five years, I moved from that one point of knowing nothing to knowing everything. And, you know, and, and, and you know, the overwhelming conclusion that I come to was that, you know, these bad things don't just happen to me. <laughs> you know, they seem to be happening. They seem to happen to every other black person and every other black person who it seems has ever lived, whether that's in Africa, America, the Caribbean or here. And so, you know, there's that, there's that, there's that cliche, isn't there, about, you know, the angry young black man and stuff. If that particular incident hadn't have happened, there would have been another one. This was not an experience that was unique to me. Mm-hmm. It was everybody. So, you know, there will have been a lot of kids, right? Who got who, who, who rose up in eighty one, who hadn't experienced an incident like what I experienced, but knew that it happened to their brothers, their sisters, mm-hmm. their cousins, their best friends, mm-hmm. th- or just the sh- or just the anger that comes out of knowing that every other kid in the community had happened to it, mm-hmm. and it was not fair. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so that in itself is enough to make you angry. So the fact that I can describe in detail one incident that happened to me and that it was foundational to me and where I was at, you know, um, is one thing. But in many respects, if you consider the whole, the bigger picture and the whole community, it didn't really matter that much. You know, it was what we shared as a local people collectively, you know, this was our lot. That is the most important thing. You know, it's the same, it's, 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 it's the same when, you know, the media talk to the, to me or even Leroy Cooper himself, you know, they will say the same thing or suggest the same thing. Oh, well, you know, the, the, the riot or the uprising, as you like to call it, happened because this guy, Leroy Cooper, was arrested, you know, on the 3rd of July, 1981. And it's a complete fallacy. It's just not true. The guy was arrested, yeah. And it, but it was, the, it was the last straw. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. This whole business of what happened in 1981 was an inevitability. One of our great community leaders, you know, you know who was around at the time, and, and he was instrumental in trying to, you know, dialogue with the police and politician, wherever, so a guy named Wally Brown, you know, he very famously said in one interview to describe what happened in 1981, that it was the tinderbox that caught the spark, you know? That this business of inevitability is the most important thing about 1981. You know, we, we can't talk about spontaneity. We can't talk about a riot in a riot sense where people just kind of like behave, you know, at the spare of the moment in an angry, undisciplined, aimless way. You know, we took to the streets, you know, because it was, we were very clear in our minds what was wrong in our community. And although it wasn't, you know, you can argue about, you know, um, when it was the best thing to do, was the wisest thing to do, all the pro, all the pros and cons. Well, okay, you put a bloody nose on the police, but then on the other hand, you destroyed the local economy around here. We can have these arguments all day for a long, long time. But the simple fact of the matter is, when we took to the streets, we did it consciously, conscientiously, and we were doing it for a reason. You know, we wanted this whole police thing to stop. Would you be able to, Jimmy, just go to the day, go to the day, paint? the listeners a bit of a picture about Toxeth because one of the things I think we have um, particularly within our world of um, politics and within academia there's an overemphasis on Brixton and I think it'd be really good for the listeners to get some very specific details about like you mentioned um, the arrests like sort of talk to us on the basis that people don't know what what happened so we've got the the lead up some of the years to it but it would be if you can and if you if you feel comfortable doing so the days around around it yeah okay well that summer um it was interesting because there were a lot of police stops throughout that summer um and the other important thing that was going on as well is you, you mentioned brixton brixton and st paul's in bristol are actually very important we can't ignore the fact as events they happened before what happened here um they're important to us because you know, we never we never had the benefit of seeing or hearing about or reading about contemporary black people, young black people, um, empowering themselves and taking matters into their own hands to resolve problems that impacted on our lives in such a fundamental way. So when St. Paul's happened in 1980 and then Brixton in May, oh, sorry, April 1981, this was big news for us, you know, because, you know, not only had 
the frequency of stops and searches, you know, um, increased very recently. But we could see that in other cities where there were black communities, you know, we could see that the anxiety that we suffered was not exclusive to our own lives. You know, we could see that, you know, this was something that black people, you know, felt everywhere else to such an extent that they felt motivated to get up and do something about it, you know. And I have very indelible images marked in my in, in my memory, you know, of, you know, of, of news clips and footage, of, you know, that, 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 that shows, you know, young black people, particularly Rast a Rastafarian in Bristol. I'll never forget this image of him throwing a rock and, and it struck a, a, an officer in, a, in, in in the middle of a bunch of other police officers and he hit the ground. And I thought to myself, wow, who would have ever believed that you could stick to the streets and do something like that? That's what they do to us. You know, and, and you know, and I know there is, it, it's a very powerful image that kind of like sparks a whole chain of thinking here. You know, the morals of it, you know, the, the, turn into violence as a, as a means of last resort, all the rest of it. But if we can just isolate this whole business of kind of like, we're in our situation, okay? And, 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 and what do you do about it? You know, we're completely at the mercy of society. You know, we turn to complain to politicians, to the media, to, you know, whoever we can say in one way or another is responsible for our welfare or can say something about the quality of our welfare and it always falls on deaf ears and 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 so you realize that you know the matter is all is all yours it, it your resolve is going to be the answer to all this lies with your own resolve you know and here here these images that were seen of like guys fighting back and so here that summer and I am answering your question now. Yeah, you are, you are. The, 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 this particular summer, you know, we had more police stops than usual. Things were kicking off in other cities. And, you know, it was becoming more of a talking point. You know, what do we do about it? You know, look what they did in Brixton. You know, this is no joke, you know. And, and like, you know, I actually remember conversations happening where, you know, you'd hear some, because we'd just hang out in the afternoon, you know. We, we, we'd be unemployed. We've got nowhere to go you know, and stuff, and, and you, you, it's a lot of time to talk, and, you know, we, we watched the news, you know, we saw what was going on, and it was a talking point, you know, we, we talk about a great length, you know, and I actually remember conversations where people were saying, well, you know, if we did this, you know, uh, you know, could we manage the police on our own? How many of us would get arrested? You know, some of these were some of the questions that we were asking ourselves. You know, would it be worthwhile? How long would it go on for? You know, um, what about our our parents? You know, what would happen with them? You know, it was a really, detail, really it, yeah, it really yeah. was a strong talking point. And then, so when we get to the third of July now, and you know, I remember I was in a youth centre just round the corner from here, um, the other side of Granby Street, Beaconsfield Street, called the Princess Park Methodist Centre, and I was in there playing pool just like every, you, you know, just, just while and away the Friday, the, the early Friday evening. And it's a nice summer's day, real warm. I remember that. And then next minute, a kid came running into the centre and um, he said, blah, blah, is come off his motorbike at the end of Granby Street or Selborne Street and there's police everywhere. Everybody just ran out to the centre because, of course, we all want to know what's going on, who, you know, is he going to come out of it good? Is it, you know, is he going to get back up? Whatever. We all ran down and Wally Brown was with us. He ran down because he worked at the Methodist Centre at the time. He ran down with us. And when we got there, there was about three or four police vans 
And um, this particular guy, the owner of the motorcycle, was sitting in the back of one of these police vehicles. And there was already a load of guys all gathered around, like shouting and, you know, um, trying to make the police feel uncomfortable um, and demanding that the guy be released. And his motorbike was in the middle of the street. When we arrived, um, things got a little bit more heated and... Um, and, and, and the police started to get nervous and, you know, they started to try and push us back and trying to get us to clear off the street and we were having none of it. And then I remember, I just remember a brick being thrown and the moment a brick appears, all sorts of ideas occur then because obviously we come back to the news stories, we come back to what happened in bricks in the St. Paul's. And you're thinking, see, and, 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 and it didn't dawn on me at that moment that, you know, this is it, we go for it now or anything like that. It, that was far from my mind. But what was clear was that we were not in the mood to take this shit anymore, you know, and this guy was coming out of that van. And so, you know, um, fists, were, you know, punches were thrown, you know, and, 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 and the thing that got me was this was an incident now where, you know, the guys didn't fear the police you know, there was a, there was, and I think it shocked them. They weren't expecting that because in Liverpool, they're so used to kind of like, you know, what, what, once, what, once you're apprehended by a police officer and you, you, you're being intimidated, you, you, you kind of wither, you know, you kind of melt, you, 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 you defer to the police. But this was different now. It's like, oh, so you're hearing numbers and you want to get tough. And then <laughs> the fighting started, you know, and this guy was pulled out of the van and in the process, Leroy, I don't know where he come from, but he was there and they got their hands on him, threw him into a van and they disappeared. But there was a few police officers who were injured. I remember reading about a sergeant who had his nose broken and there was I remember his face because there was blood everywhere. Um and 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 you know, and when they skedaddled off, it was bad that they had Leroy, but the simple fact of the matter was that, you know, something had happened here. You know, this was different, you know. The, the police literally ran from us because, you know, they were overwhelmed. And, you know, a few of the guys, I wasn't involved at this stage, but a few of the guys stayed out during the night and were attacking, you know, patrolling police officers. And um, and so when I woke up the next day, um, I didn't know exactly what had happened during the night. Um, but I came out and, of course, I wanted to go by friends and talk about what had happened, you know, with the Leroy incident. And um, and find out, you know, if he was still, you know, being detained or whatever. And, you know, just get, just walking from my house to my friends who live nearer here. I got stopped three times, man. Three times by police officers on three separate different occasions. Just on that one walk alone, you know. I thought, what the hell is going on? There's police everywhere. Vehicles going up and down. And, you know... you know, these stops were interesting because they weren't, because usually when you get stopped, you know, they want to search through your pockets and they want to ask where you're going and what you're up to and all the rest of it. But these stops were different because I remember, I remember the second stop in particular was, was really strange because, um, by the way, at this point of time in my life, being stopped by the police was a very common experience and you developed your own means and techniques of getting through a stop. So that you could reduce the possibility of either being hit or arrested or whatever, you know. So there were, you had certain expectations when you're going to be stopped. What was going to happen? And so, um, I, I I remember one of these stops. Um, you know, uh, there were three police officers, and 
he jumped out of this vehicle and just shoved me against this wall. And I and and I did what you know is the best thing to do when violence comes to you straight away. Say nothing, don't argue, and don't raise your hands. Keep your hands down. So I stood me against this wall, and I remember the, this this one police officer. He was he was red faced with fury right from the get go. And his thing was, you you fucking black bastards were sick of it. You think you can run us out of this place? This these are our streets. And you are going to learn the hard way. You're going to learn the hard way that if you try anything like what happened last night again, we'll kill a lot of you. And, you know, and I thought to myself, this is war. This is, this really is war. This guy's like, he's not only claiming, trying to claim our streets, but he's, t- he's, he's, he's dictating to us the terms of that ownership. Our lives. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to say I literally took him that that seriously that we would the lot of us would be killed but he was staking his claim in no uncertain terms and i thought to myself this is just crazy so i got by my friends finally and you know we had, we, we all had similar stories to tell what about what had been happening that day and little did i know at the time but our community leaders were furiously trying to get in touch with the chief constable's office please get the police out of here this situation is escalating there's too many officers here there's too many kids being stopped for no good reason and the stories that we're getting back is they're being threatened in no uncertain terms you're provoking a dangerous situation here brixton's happened st paul's has happened if you don't cool the situation down and get the cops out of here this place will go up in flames. Please just remove the police. Kenneth Oxford, the chief constable at the time, was having none of it. I'm determined to impose order on these streets. Um, the, 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 your, your kids have been going too far. They, 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 you know, they, they ran police officers out of our community during that arrest yesterday evening. And they've been attacking launch an unwarranted attacks on my police on my officers all night long i'm not having any of it the police officers stay until this whole situation cools down so that evening the saturday evening uh, the first barricades appeared on the corners of grove street with upper parliament street and kingsley road with upper parliament street and that was at about 6 p.m it was still daylight um but uh, it the upper parliament street is what was a main bus route still is and um, within seconds, I wasn't there at the at, at the time that the barricades went up, but I believe within seconds there wasn't a single vehicle to be seen on Upper Parliament Street. So you know how you get because ha, ha, at six p.m. you know shoppers are go are returning home from the city centre, and that is a real busy bus route. The eighty six is one of the busiest buses you know in in Liverpool, and and yet there wasn't a car, there wasn't a vehicle to be seen within seconds of. Um, of, of the youths taken to, to, to Upper Parliament Street. And then I found out about things later on because, because during that time, while I knew that there was incident, there was f- situations flaring up on Mill Street and other parts of, 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 of Liverpool late, um, I, I, they, were, they, they were just frequent skirmishes from what I could tell. And I thought, well, I could come out and find out what's going on and catch up with things later on. I went home, had my dinner, you know, evening, I'd have my supper and stuff. And as far as I was concerned, I was going to meet the guys down by one of the nightclubs on Princess Road at about 10 o'clock when it's dark, find out what's happening and maybe, you know, get involved with one or two things myself that I've been hearing about. And when my friends lived right 
on a house and estate which bound which was on the boundary of Upper Parliament Street, the Kimberley Street estate we called it at the time. And I remember as I, 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 I made my way first of all to Princess Road over by Sierra Leone, the Sierra Leone nightclub, and the place was empty. The DJ, it, it, the DJ was sitting on his own in, 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 in the music box with a bemused look on his face thinking, why am I doing this? Because I think the only audience he had was an elderly gentleman who was sitting with a small glass of stout and there was just nothing else happening in this club. So I was thinking, where is everybody? So I went by my friends who live by the housing estate on the edge of Parliament Street. And, um, and as I was approaching the estate, I could see an orange glow above the rooftops. And I knew that that is not the norm. You know, you, that orange glow, there's no lights there that lights up like that. You know, it's something going on. So anyway, I started, I started to enter the estate. And as I entered the estate, I could just hear the noise, you know, kind of. And then as I moved through, it started getting louder and louder. And then I could hear all the sharper noises like clash, bang, bang, you know, metal against metal concrete against plastic all the rest i could hear these boom boom crash crash sounds and then I, there was this earth bounding that separated the, the earth mound that separated the estate from the main street itself and as i walked onto the top of that there it was the whole panoramic you know it was just a full state of disorder you know there was a front line of police shields on one side there was these two or three rows of officers and then on this side this is all these cars being and youths everywhere there was maybe about two to three hundred youths the i i walked along parliament street at about three o'clock or two o'clock that afternoon it was now 10 p.m that was six or seven hours gone and parliament street was absolutely fine you know it had paid two even pavements a a a you know a, a clean road and all the railings and all the brickwork was completely intact. When I arrived at 10 o'clock, there was huge chunks and craters, <laughs> huge chunks of bricks and everywhere. There was missing railings. There was craters in, 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 in the pavement. You know, it was just... I had missed the beginning of World War Three, as far as I was concerned. You know, I thought, this is just like crazy. And, but, but in all seriousness, I realised right there and then, we're going to be on the news tomorrow because it's here. You know, it was happening. I don't know how long this is going to last for, but it's happened. We've got an uprising here. We've got a revolt. And then the immediate question that I was confronted with, getting real personal about it now, was, am I going to get involved with this for real? Because it's, it's, there's been a lot of talking. There's been a lot of speculation. There's been a lot of anticipation that it might happen. Well, it's here now. What are you going to do about it? And I stood there for what seemed like hours, but was in fact something like about half an hour or so. And I had nothing to say to anybody. I was just a spectator during that time. I just watched and I saw all, all the things happening that I would have to be expected to be involved with if I was going to get involved. And I saw, I saw all the things that upset a lot of people as well, you know, and... I thought this is this is really serious. This is the one bit of it that I've never thought about before. I, somebody's going to get killed here, you know. Somebody's going to get re really badly hurt, you know. This is this is a real big decision to make, you know. And um, I know I've been prattling on 
for a very long time now. So I, I'm going to cut this short. But, you know, in a nutshell, what it came down to was this. I had a number of friends who were running up to me every few moments, you know, demanding to know what I was doing standing there with all the mums and dads, you know, as he put it. I should be down in the street doing my bit, you know, and I was being reminded, you know, we've talked about this for a long time. You've been snatched yourself. You're one of those who's been snatched by the police. You know why we're doing this, you know, and at the end of the day, we're either in this together defending our community streets or you're allowing them the opportunity to win. There's no in-betweens. And so my mind was made up, you know, it was tough and I was frightened as hell at first, you know, because... I wasn't a violent or aggressive or fighting kid. You know, I went to school, I read books, you know, I, I had prospects, you know, I was being told, you know, I'll get so many O-levels and all the rest of it. And the point I'm trying to make is this, is that violence, as a perpetrator of violence, you know, that just wasn't a part of my life. Um, my thing was to think and, and, and talk to people and reason, you know, and all of a sudden I found myself in this situation where, I could kill somebody, I could maim somebody, I could end up in jail, you know, all sorts of preposterous things that I never ever imagined could ever be a part of my <coughs> life and my personal consideration, you know. But I thought, this is my community. Every time I've been depressed, every time I've been upset because of racism, I've always come back here. And all the things that have made me feel good and whole and right in my life, they're all things that I find here. You know, why should I care about what people would say outside of this place? Like, you know, my my former school teachers or the guy down at the Dole office who signs me off when I when, when, when I when I come to make my two-week claim. Why should I care about what the newspapers think about me? Why should I care about what any of these people think of me when all they do is quick to condemn me and people like me? This is my community. It's the only thing that I've got. At the age of 17, that is the only thing that I had. And it was the only thing that I had to defend as well. If I wasn't prepared to defend my community, I had nothing of value to defend. So, you know, I remember for about two hours, the first two hours, I was quite scared. You know, you know I had weapons. Um, I remember charging and running the police and I remember striking blows and I remember doing all sorts of things to help other people do the, some terrible things to human beings. But, you know, at the end of the day, my conscience was clear. I knew why I was doing this and I knew that it was the right thing to do. And, I, and I'm saying this because that was the same experience for everyone who was involved. We all faced the same dilemma, you know, and, 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 and a lot of those kids were saying to me, you know, well, it, we could be arrested here. We could be hurt here. We could be really, you, you know, our community could be harmed because of this. But what the hell has been happening anyway? Well, I'm not going to listen to you, Jim, because I just want to say thank you, first of all, for just taking action and joining them. And those stories, are, you know, like just not letting them die and keeping them alive mm -hmm. and retelling them. And, you know, I've watched your work from afar. I've never, you know, okay. never, never met you, but it was mm -hmm. just like, gratitude and thankful that like people are keeping these these stories alive and they're important and, and you're speaking them yourself it's not you know narrative is an important thing you know some people think that all that matters is that you get the facts out there and everything makes sense but the one thing that i've learned since 1981 more than any other thing about this whole story is that 
the narrative and how it's taken for granted is actually the most important thing. The events themselves were important, but it doesn't mean jack shit if nobody's going to tell, you know, exactly what that story meant to the people who had to live it. And I find that having to contend with this history as we understand it, of the media's take on things, you know, and even kind of like all due respect to white academics, but over the years, some of the, some of, some of the, some of the, you know, the texts and, and the reports that I've read, you know, have been much more concerned with class struggle and people like Margaret Thatcher and throwing bricks at her rather than fully grasping that this story was all about what happened to us and why <coughs> we felt we had to do what we had to do. You know, that that point has always been missed. And, and I commit myself, you know, to tell this story. And, you know, I put my reputation on the line to tell it from a very personal perspective because I think our community deserves that, you know. And, and being someone who was involved in it, you know, I, I, you know, I don't keep a social media account. I, 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 I don't, I don't have a Facebook account. I don't, I don't tweet. I don't do nothing because I don't want any amount of trolling to put me off doing what I'm trying to do here. Thankfully, you know, when people straight, I, I get stopped by strangers on the street and they say, you know, I saw you on TV the other day, or I saw this documentary on 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 YouTube, or whatever, and you know, I'm thinking, oh, is this going to be the first person who's going to want to punch me? But thankfully. The vast, 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 overwhelming majority of people have said, you know what? I never, ever thought about it the way you told it before. And although I disagree with violence, for example, I, I understand why you did what you did. And that's all we want <coughs> in this damn community, you know, for people to say, well, you know, we weren't criminals. We weren't just kind of like mindless thugs like Thatcher and, and um, Willie Whitelaw. Yeah. Not Willie yeah. Whitelaw. Um, anyway, I'm just, I'm just going off on one now. Um, I think it's really interesting what you said about, and you, you've often throughout um, your narrative, which thank you so much, it's been so moving, you often caveat and feel like you need to defend being violent. And what I think is really interesting about that is Britain is one of the most violent <laughs> places, nations. It's always on their terms, the violence. So, you try to have Yeah, I know, I know, I know. So so I hear why you have to say it, but it makes me so, like, it makes me so sad that you always feel like you have to caveat the violence that you were forced to do when this country is so violent. Let me just explain, right? I'm sitting here, I'm in this conversation yeah. with you, okay? And I dare say a lot of your listeners are people who are like you or at least open-minded open, open -minded to the extent that they can think like you. Definitely. But one of the things I'm very conscious of is that when I try to revise this story, this narrative, okay, and address the issues in it and the way it's presented... I'm mainly having to talk to people who embrace that old yeah. school narrative, okay? And, and, the, and one of the reasons why they're motivated, compelled to embrace it is because they can't understand the nature of violence. Violence is always depicted as the means of the bad guy. You know, the, only criminals, only truly criminal-minded people can perpetrate violence on the, on the scale that we did, you know? I mean, some of the figures on the face of it are alarming to a lot of people. You know, we we were responsible by the figures of the day for something like £10 million worth of damage. But you know, we, we, there were 700 police officers who were put in hospital. You know, there was something like 60, between 60 and 100 police vehicles that were damaged and scrapped. Now, you said good, and I get that, 
But do you realize that the majority of people who live in this country will not be able no, to relate I to d- response I do, like I that? do, I hear and, your and point. And so I caveat. Yeah, I know, but I hear your point. I to deal with those particular people. I completely agree with you. What I'm saying is, is those people that would that would argue, oh, you're, you're too violent, what you did was too violent, are okay with Britain going abroad and committing violence. Oh, so, do you know what I mean? So it's violent, it, it's, violent, it's a very particular form of violence that people are okay with. So... That, I, I I hear you basically. I'll go I'll go even further than that, right? Yeah. You know, 1981, and this is pure coincidence. This mm. 1981 was also the 600th anniversary of the Peasants' Revolt in this country. Yeah. That's taught in schools. I know. It's part of the. It's part of. It's part of the year. I think it's the year eight curriculum, school curriculum. You were taught all about the peasantry's revolt, why it's happened, and here's the best one, how it's advanced the cause of British citizenship in this country. And yet, we rose up, no more violently, because, you know, the peasants, they killed some big top-notch people back in the day, you know? And, and, you know, and yet those guys are referred to as heroes. You know, the police are accountable as, as, as a public body. But the day-to-day nuts and bolts of policing involves individuals who are tasked with with keeping order on the streets, okay? And one of the satisfying things about seeing the fear that lit up the police officer's face when they realized that they were being repelled, right, was that their conscience was suddenly was suddenly starting to kick in. You know, they realized, oh gosh, you know. They were, you know, they must. I dare say some of them must be thinking to themselves, I wish I hadn't got my hands on that black guy the other day. I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I hadn't done that. You know, they're, they're pissed off with me personally. That's how human beings think in, in dire situations, you know, when it's all on the line. It all becomes a rather, the personal perspective thing takes over everything else. You know, my responsibility, you know, the sense of, you know, how I've contributed to all this kicking off, you know, and that's the thing that I read most when I looked in each and every one of those faces, you know, the fact that they all felt equally responsible for what was happening here. They knew that we wouldn't be doing this if they hadn't done what they've done to us. So, you know, of course, they could all go running back to the nest on top of the hill, police headquarters, and get a reassuring briefing from their chief constable, their boss. Don't worry about this, boys. You've got a job to do. You've been doing a great job. And, you know, you go back out there and do the great job that you've been doing. They can all go back for that. But they all know, I don't want to be the one who gets collared by these guys when they finally give it to us. You know, I mean... I don't know if it means anything to anyone to describe things that way, but, you know, what I'm saying is, is that institutionalized racism in, 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 in the police force is not just kind of like a matter of, you know, looking at what policies and processes they have in place. You know, you conduct a relationship with people, you come into contact with the police, it becomes a rather personal matter. It's an experience between you and them. And, you know, you can write, a, I'm, I'm sure any police officer at the time could have written a diary if they'd have been bothered to and look back, flick back through the pages and look, well, on 24th of June last year, I did this to that bunch. On this particular date, I did that. You know, and, you know, when if you, if you look at policing in that respect, it becomes something rather different because you're kind of like measuring the evil of a man. 
or a woman, if they're a police, if, if it's a female police officer, you mentioned that the, 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 you, you gauge in the evil that an individual's pre- being prepared to perpetuate, you know. And and so for us, when we talk about institutionalized racism and, you know, um, um, you know, bad police and corrupt police, and, you know, we think about it in that sense. We don't think about it in terms of, well, you know, get some, com- you know, get some, you know, independent inquiry going and get someone in there to conduct a report and find on paper all the things that are written down in the policy and the, with the procedures, you know. We think about in terms of how these guys have just impacted on us day to day. Well, thankfully, I didn't read any Franz Fanon. Until yeah. 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 I will explain this in a moment if there are people here who haven't heard of Franz Fan, and clearly you two have. <laughs> but I'm, I, all I say is I'm quite relieved that I hadn't read any Franz Fan before 1981 <laughs> because, <laughs> I, because I'd have probably been hell bent on trying to kill somebody. But, yeah. <laughs> Franz Fanon, by the way, is um, one of the truly great writers and commentators on the, anti, on the anti-colonial um, <laughs> post-colonial experience and he wrote extensively on the colonial experiences of black people living in Algeria um, and how they struggle to survive as people let alone as citizens and um, and he famously said in one of his books I can't remember which of the two it was but he famously said uh, on one occasion that you know black people have to be prepared to kill you know to survive the white experience and um, and Franz Fanon was a guy who was quite compelling you know um, he was very good at making it at articulating his arguments and you know I, I'm just grateful that I read him when I was older <laughs> and I could make more sense of what it was he was trying to say but, but you know he wasn't being metaphorical he was actually you know everything has its time and place and when he wrote that you know there was a need for people to go out and defend themselves you know, in very extreme ways. Um, but, you know, you know, I, I'd read a lot about what being going on in America. You know, I was a big admirer of the Black Panthers, um, Malcolm X, as well as Martin Luther King and those sorts of people. The thing I liked about the Panthers was that, you know, everybody talks about the Panthers being kind of like violent, gun-toting and, you know, challenging the police and stuff. But the thing I liked most about the Black Panthers was that, you know, they were principally, or at least in the beginning, they were principally concerned with, you know, taking control of their own community and and placing it in good hands um, and, and, and kind of, you know, self-empowering the community to an extent that it didn't have to depend on a white power structure that was intent on destroying it. Um, and Malcolm X, you know, everybody knows who Malcolm X is, but, you know, um, I was particularly inspired by his story because when I first read Malcolm X, I was about, I think I was 15 or 16 years of age. And the thing that struck me about Malcolm more than anything else was that, you know, he survived, he survived um, as a black man. You know, he, he, he everything that could bear down on a black individual and completely just destroy him was, you know, figured in his life, you know, he, 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 you know, he, he was forced to live a life as a criminal. He was a pimp. He, you know, he, he, he was violent. He got sent to jail. He, 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 he got sentenced to 20 odd years. He did 12 and a half years and he was completely uneducated. And yet by the time he left jail, he was a completely reformed man. And I don't mean reformed in, 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 in a state sense reformed. I mean, reformed constitutionally as a black man, you know, that really captured my imagination to some extent. And so for me, 
the sum total of what I'd read was that, you know, the thing to be gotten from the black experience is that first of all, you struggle, then you, then you, then you, then you collect yourself and you organize yourself and become empowered. They were the over, they were the overriding influences in my life from what I'd read about. You know, it wasn't about violence per se. It wasn't about kind of like just simply kind of like fighting back and stuff like this. It was about how can you improve your lot, you know, and you know, you, it, largely that was done outside of the mainstream. You know, <clears throat> it didn't involve, <clears throat> for example, and I hope I'm not hating anyone's feelings here. It didn't involve signing up and becoming a member of the Labour Party. It didn't involve even voting for a black mayor or a black MP. You know, community first was then and still remains for me to be everything. You know, our answers are all here in this community. You know, I don't think, I don't think, of course, we live in Britain and we live in a democracy and there are certain things that can't happen unless you're engaged with wider society. But my argument is all the fundamental things like how can we best be educated? How can we get jobs? How can we become people who live in a neighborhood that is truly proud of itself and can, and, and can stand up for itself? I think all those answers are here. It's, it's for us to assume principal responsibility for those things. Because if we leave them in the hands of wider society, we leave them in the hands of the state or even local authority, they'll just get fucked with time and time again. You've been listening to Surviving Society Presents Hidden Histories, Season 1, titled Resistance and Restoration in Black Liverpool. To keep up with all our work, please do follow, rate, subscribe and review.